I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast. We're packing a lot into today's show because a lot happened over the weekend. Owen Murphy and Ken are all here. Hello all there. Excited. Hi guys. Hey, I was you? actually thinking I was going to get cut given the amount of work that was <laughs> We were looking I'm, at it. I'm we, just glad to be here. We had a few high powered Sunday evening conversations, Murph, and you just about uh, just about stayed in the I'll mix stay here. As quite as I can. We'll talk Tyrone's skullduggery, Kilkenny's fallibility, Murph has a theory there, and Ireland's indestructibility against Wales in the rugby. But the biggest story arrived late last night when Shane Larry won the World Golf Championships, Bridgestone Invitational. More than $1.5 million in prize money, a place in the top 20 in the world rankings. And I think. Also, maybe a new perspective that others will have on Shane Lowry. I think people might look at him a little bit differently, and I mean that in a positive way. Right, Shane Lowry is about the nicest sportsman Ireland has produced. Mm. Uh, and, you know, not just things being overly nice in sport, but just a uh, charming guy. We've met him a few times. Uh, he has that effect on people, whether he's whether people have met him or not. You want to root for the guy. Seems just very normal, uh, very into things outside of just golf. All of that stuff, but I think that that maybe masks the belief that he has in himself, and maybe it's only a belief that he's really mastered in the last couple of years, but certainly I've kind of gotten the sense, reading his columns, talking to him a little bit, that he's, the more he's played, the more he's been in these tournaments with these the best players in the world, the more that there's something in the back of his head thinking, well, you know, I'm actually, I'm up there, yeah, and I should be up there, and a lot of us maybe have looked at him wrongly as a player who's happy enough to be competing at that level when a win like this shows that he, he certainly should be thinking more hopefully he has been thinking uh, about more than just competing yeah I think he's ahead of us uh, and by us I mean the Irish sporting public by quite a bit in respect of that and in, in respect of his belief in his own ability I think everyone has maybe a propensity to underestimate the guy because he doesn't mind telling us that it's loads of fun to be a really top class professional athlete who uh, earns obviously a nice amount of money and has a really good lifestyle and we maybe look at that and think well he's he's happy with that well obviously he's happy with it I mean it's a great way to live your life but he's not content with it um, he's, he, he might be having a really good, uh, good time but that doesn't mean that he wants to win any less that he doesn't want to progress as a golfer and I think that uh, last night and the way that he went and won that tournament I think it should convince us should convince uh, lots of people around the country that 
the guy's having a great time, but the guy wants to win these tournaments a lot. And he also happens to have the game to win these tournaments. And the fact that he's not constantly talking up how good a golfer he is or constantly talking up the raft of coaches that he's brought in to make sure that, you know, he's not being no, the Welsh rugby not. team. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, like that's, not in his, that's not in his nature. But we should get wise to the fact now that the guy is an absolutely brilliant golfer who goes for things and wins tournaments in really spectacular fashion when he's in the, in the hunt to win them. Kilkenny are through to yet another All-Ireland final, but not without a cost. Poor old Richie Hogan, Ken. You're having a look at Richie Hogan's feet on Twitter. Mm. Of course, isn't he always? Could you describe them to us? Well, they're just hanging off. I mean, he's rubbed most of the skin off the, to the balls of his foot and his toes, and there's just this red, raw, you know, mess underneath. I'm thinking, what is... This is oh, you're insane. Playing, you're playing on a dry day in Croke Park in August. What kind of boots is he wearing? I mean, he, he, <laughs> Maybe the wrong ones. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty embarrassing for whoever's given him his boots. I mean, there's, there's a... Who was the other guy? Mickey Conroy? Oh, um, yeah, from Mayo. He, he, he joined in yeah. in this orgy of uh, uh, Conroy's were worse, porn. actually. Conroy's were even worse, yeah. Didn't it was like shred from, of skin left on there. From big toe to small toe, all across the ball of his foot, uh, just completely ripped apart. It's not a good thing. No, I find, I find it amazing that they... That I just... I mean, it's clear that there's a problem there, you know, the, whatever they're wearing on their feet. Like, it's not... Uh, <laughs> that should not be happening. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's not as though either of them look particularly bothered by it. I have to say, they're both grinning broadly. <laughs> as they showed off their mutilated feet, but I don't know. To me, it just seems like what's going it's on. It's the opposite of the Shane Lowry. It's not effect. exactly. They want you to see all the blood and sweat and toil and mm. skin loss that goes into winning. Yeah, the Welsh yeah, rugby team have bigger blisters, though. Let's be fair. Oh, of course, the Welsh rugby the, team they've do. They've got bigger blisters. Oh, they barely got. It's from the that's knees. Why they lost. Stumps, just stumps at the end of their at the end of their ankles. Dude, they've actually surgically attached hooves to counteract this blister problem that they've been, uh, been it's, uh, facing. It's just not. Uh, it's not a uh, an image that screams to me. You know, top uh, uh, top level sports science. I'm kind of like has sports science looked at a way of of putting stuff on the players' feet to, in such a way that. All the skin doesn't get rubbed off by the end of the game. Right. Can we science? Can we have a look at this science? We've, we uh, put men on the moon, Ken. I think we can solve this one. We have got a lot to talk about today, so let's get into the golf first of all. Marky Clerken, who watched Shane Lowry achieve the biggest win of his career last night, um, probably one of the most popular wins, Maliki, uh, for a long time in Irish sport. What is it do you think about Shane Lowry that appeals so much to so many people? Uh, I think there's a, there's a number of things. I, I think Shane's story since since he won the Irish Open in Baltre, um uh, it kind of appeals a little bit to um to the sort of the, the the golfer in in all of us a little bit. Like um I remember talking to him at the time um and being astonished really to find out that that Shane really only played his first 18 holes of full golf when uh when he was about 13 and like when he was when he was 16 he was still playing off you know four um so like he wasn't he wasn't like McElroy. like he wasn't you know anointed to be a, a a world-class golfer from an early age he was basically a guy that played a bit of pitch and putt in his local local course really got into it uh but in the space i remember writing at the time that uh, in the in the lifespan of um, say Mickey Hart's time as Tyrone manager, he went from being a plus four golfer 
to being an Irish Open winner as an amateur, which was only about the guts of like five or six years at that stage. So he, um, he, he, and he looks like a guy who just kind of took up golf, found out he was a bit good at it and kept at it. Uh, and and now look at him. So I think there's that sort of appeal to him. There's also the fact that um, the fair chance that if he wasn't uh, um, playing in the Bridgestone yesterday, you'd have seen him walking out of Croke Park with a few of his mates. You know, he he seems completely unaffected by uh, the level of talent and level of ability he has, and the the sort of the echelon he has reached in world golf. Um, so I think people like him for that. They like him because he's open. They like him because he doesn't particularly take himself overly seriously. Like his his Twitter uh, bio says, uh, pro golfer most of the time, having the crack the rest of the time. You know, and it's just, he does, he does come across and is a very sort of level-headed, down-to-earth kind of guy who just happens to be in this sort of top one percentile uh, in the world at his particular talent. Do you think that that personality that he has actually makes people, certainly people in Ireland, underestimate his ability slightly? Uh, I just had a conversation with somebody recently about Lowry and they were talking about a lot of the stuff you're talking about there about how great a personality he has and you know, how nice it is to see him doing so well, but almost with the inference that top 50 in the world is about as good as, good as it's going to get for this guy. I, I just from interviewing him a couple of times, and even from reading his Irish Times column, I kind of get the sense that there's a steeliness quite better hidden than it is in a lot of competitors, but there's a steeliness in there that maybe people underestimate. Yeah, it, I think there's two things at play. Uh, uh, one of them is how he looks. Like, let's face it, he doesn't look like the the new generation of golfers that are that come onto the PGA Tour in the European Tour every year. You know, he is two or three stone heavier than uh, his body shape or his his, his height, uh, which doesn't, you know, if you see all the American golfers coming out, if you see Spieth, if you see Justin Thomas, if you see all these guys that are hot shots in college that are coming out, even if you look at Paul Dunn, uh, who who's going to be the next Irish golfer to go pro after a stellar sort of college career. These guys look, you know, they look like athletes and all that. And Shane doesn't look like that. And he's particularly unapologetic about that. But the other side of it uh, is that I don't know if before maybe this year or maybe the last 18 months that Shane particularly believed that the very top of the game was was open to him. Um, uh, he, the great thing about him, and and the reason that he that he was always, always liable to do something great was that he has a brilliant talent for being unafraid to win. I remember talking to him after uh, he won the Irish Open in Baltrea that time. Um, And if you remember at the time, he was an amateur and he was in a playoff against this journeyman English pro, Robert Rock, who is, you know, exactly like that. You know, he'd been around the game for a number of years, bounces in and out of the top 100, maybe gets a good season the odd time, gets into the top 50, whatever. But he said something, Shane said something interesting afterwards that that in the playoff, um, he knew that Robert Rock would be thinking about um, the first prize the 500 grand that you get for winning. Whereas Shane was an amateur, so the money didn't matter to him. 
Um, and so he said he said that that all he was concentrating on was winning and that the prize, the all of that meant nothing. And I think he really took that into his first few years on tour. Yeah, absolutely. Once you go on tour first, you know, you're you're mad to get your card. Your 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 baseline is to qualify for your card for the following year. And after that, you know, you start talking about top 50 in the world and all that kind of stuff. But Shane definitely had a couple of tournaments where he ended up coming fifth because he was absolutely going for first. Like he would blow up on the back nine, get into position on the back nine, but really go for it and end up, you know, coming fifth or seventh or whatever. And I think you saw a bit of that last night, you know, like even coming down the 18th, you know, okay, his drive went to the left. He was left with that that shot to the green. Shane had a one-shot lead. Like, all he needed was a par. I know those guys coming after him, and I know that, that you know, Rose could have birdied the last two to get to 10 under. But Shane had a one-shot lead while he was standing in the trees. You know, he could have chipped out, chipped up, got his par, and won the tournament. But... There's still something in him that he goes for the win. He goes balls out for it. Now, the shot, you know, that, that th- there was an element of that being the percentage shot, because oddly because of the way the tree was shaped in front of him. But there was still, if you listened to the chat between him and his caddy and the microphone was right beside him, at no stage did, did either he or the caddy sort of go, well, we could chip out here mm-hmm. uh, and have a 70-yard pitch and to get up and down to win the tournament that that never really entered his thinking and that that that's a kind of a, a thing that Shane has had all the way through and it is counted against him sometimes he has sometimes got into position and and not taken the percentage shot um but it is something and it's a very likable thing i think people like that about him they watch him and they go well Shane well he's going to go for it here and you know that you you will you will win a lot of friends and and have a lot of people like you if you go like that. Yeah, it struck me that he, in a way, he kept his head while simultaneously looking like he could have been on the verge of losing it. There, there was that scramble mm-hmm. in the last. He needed that put in seventeenth as well, a tricky, a tricky kind of a put. Mm-hmm. And his reactions are Shane Larry type reactions the entire time. It's not he. He was he took the tournament. He won the tournament himself. He went and did it, but he exactly. didn't do it in a sort of <laughs> he did it in a very human kind of a way. I think. I, and like I, again, you go back to 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 Baltre. I don't know if, if people remember it. Like it, it was a ferociously bad day. Uh, the rain was coming in sideways, and it was re- kind of real small town Ireland, even though it was a European tour event. And he got on to the. I remember him coming up the 18th and uh, hitting it close on the 18th, and this was before it had gone to the playoff, and he was kind of. He was dancing onto the green, you know, he, and, and it was it was he, he doesn't hide his reaction. He doesn't hide who he is. And actually, as it turned out, uh, you know, he didn't win it there. He had to go to a playoff and, and win it afterwards. But he, he doesn't hide who he is. And again, like that's it. It is a part of his makeup. And you sort of hope that he never, never loses it. Um but the but the other part of his makeup is that he is an aggressive golfer and always has been, you know that that he he is always the guy that that you could check into a, a tournament 
some Friday and, it, you know, he might have shot sort of 73 on the on the Thursday and you go, well, I'll just check in to see did Larry do anything here today. Uh, and yeah, he, he could have birdied four of the first seven holes because that's just the type of him. He goes out, plays every shot, goes for the green, goes for the goes for the hole. And it's it it, it is great to watch. Um, but like when you think about it, it's, it's three years since he last won a tournament. You know, like we always talk about him as this kind of dark horse, but we talk about it because he has this ability to to really attack a course from one day to the next. But in three years of playing on the European Tour and the last year sort of playing on and off on the, on the PGA Tour, he hadn't won since, since I think it was the Portuguese Open he won. Um, so there's a level of con- consistency there that he, is, he has struggled to get to. But you always talk of him in a kind of a dark horse kind of way because he has the ability to to tear up the course. He has the ability to just decide, right, I'm on it today. And if I'm on it, I'm not letting go. Um, and that is, that is part of his personality. And I guess that that's what, like, that's what won the tournament for him last night. You know, you didn't think that, that he really was going to win, win the thing by two shots. Uh, and yet he just attacked the back nine and, and that's what won it. He's top 20 in the world now. Maliki, I'm sure he'll be playing the next Ryder Cup, uh, probably mentioned it now as a contender in some of the majors. Expecting to go all prima donna now, strutting around awfully, shouting Big his mouth off. <laughs> Wearing a Big cape. Time. Well, you know, the, 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 the evidence obviously is there of uh, awfully people who got too big for their boots, you know. It's, uh, it's a real real trait of that county. Pilkington, uh, Wheelahan, you know, the, the names yeah. chip off the tongue, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pilkington, you know, all these guys, you know, they just they just became uh, boring, overpaid uh, arseholes after a while. Um, no, like he will he will be who he is like, you know, he he won't uh, he won't change very much. Uh, he will be one one side of it that will be interesting. Um, uh, it's very good chance that he will be. um the representative in the Olympics next year, mm. uh, which you know, I some, I some, I, I like. I don't think golf should be in the Olympics from the you know at, yeah. from the start off. You know, it just the Olympics should be the pinnacle of the sport. But uh, if Shane Larry is going for for a gold medal in the <laughs> Olympics, that there's something kind of different about that rather than uh, McElroy going for a gold medal in the Olympics, like. You, you don't think it'll really make all that much difference to Rory's life whether he gets a, an Olympic gold medal or not. Um, but I, you kind of think, Jesus, Shane Larry with an Olympic gold medal is, is is something different. I'm not really sure why that is, but it, but there is something different about it. Yep, absolutely. Listen, Maliki, brilliant. Thanks so much. All right, lads. Yeah, I do know what Maliki's talking about there with regards to Shane Lowry. I agree that golf shouldn't be in the Olympics for the reasons outlined, but if it's going to be in there, watching Shane Lowry try to take on the best in the world... Would be, it would be similar to Andy Murray in 2012 when he beat Roger Federer. If you remember that game, it was such a huge deal for him because he hadn't got to the level of uh, that Roger Federer got. And Roger Federer looked like he didn't give a shite, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. He just kind of wandered off. Oh, well, I've lost this match here. Nah, uh, going to give you this one, Andy. Shane Lowry will have his next Irish, Tottenham, Irish Times column out on Thursday. I'm sure that one will be well read, so have a look at that. He did write a good one recently about missing the cut of the British Open and he felt a lot of pressure going into that tournament which he dealt with really badly he says himself and if the one thing that he was going to take from that week 
is to deal better with pressure situations in the future, then at least that's that's something. And <laughs> that has happened probably sooner than anyone else expected. Yeah. Tyrone are in the All-Ireland semi-finals, but they're getting no love and a lot of abuse from GA supporters around Ireland. In other words, exactly where they want to be, Kieran. Uh Yeah, I mean, this is peak Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is, this is uh, Tyrone uh, in microcosm, really. Their siege mentality levels are through the roof again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a crazy and this time everybody does hate them. I'm yeah. not sure if they did previously. No, I think it, it. I think it was a little bit of a Mickey Hart construct in well, particularly 2005. Say 2003, sure that semi final against Kerry that wasn't that wasn't overly pretty. Um, but by the time 2005 and 2008 came around, I think everyone realised that we're looking at one of the best teams of all time. Now though, well, I think yeah, the country is. It, if they were united behind Shane Larry, they are now united. Uh, with regard to Tarudge. Anthony Moyles and Oshin McConville have joined us. How are you, lads? Morning, on. Morning, on. Let's get into it, Oshin. Tyrone, cynicism. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Straight into it. Jesus. I saw you <laughs> bounding in here with a high energy level oh. this morning. I thought, this guy wants to talk about Tyrone all day. I drove from Cross to Dublin in about 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get it on. <laughs> Where will we start? <laughs> Oh, and there's two things in Gaelic football, right? There's diving and there's the other one. I'm going to try and be as graphic as I can because in a couple of particular games, I get spat on a lot, you know, during a game. And not in case people think, not like spit the dog as in, as in a... You know, one of them, right? Yeah, thanks. Right? Yeah, very necessary to illustrate (laughs) with that thing. Right from the toes. You know, and whatever whatever they could consume. And there's two things in Gaelic football that's just not acceptable. It's spitting on somebody and it's just taking a dive like that. And Tyrone people can, you know, can can say about uh, those two teams in it and the argument, that's not a good enough argument for me. At the end of the day, the one incident that sticks out in my mind from that game after a brilliant Tyrone performance is somebody getting ruffled. Like, don't get me wrong, it was a, it was quite an intense ruffle of the hair. <laughs> but uh, to throw yourself on the ground, I got, oh my god, I don't know how you'd wake up in the morning, how embarrassed you'd be. Sure, I, th- I think, I think, actually, having thought about it, that I'd rather be in the losing side than wake up and be tearing a can. No, you wouldn't. Yes, I would. You've never done anything in a game, not like that, that you've thought about the next day and thought, well, you know, probably that's not. Strictly to the letter of the law, but yeah, my but team has won. I don't care. Well, that's just above and beyond. It's, it's ridiculous. Not, not as bad as spitting, surely. No, it's not as bad as spitting, but it's up there. Okay, well, I think everyone watched it and said, uh, that's it's obviously stupid, you know, and you look stupid, right? But Michael Shields did it in the Munster final this year. No one's talking about it as like an endemic thing in Cork football. Aidan O'Mahony did it in the Iron Final in 2008. Uh, Michael Lundy. You know, won a uh, Ireland club final on his own, nearly for Kerfin. He did it. You know, like, died, like fell on the ground, clutching his face after he got a ball slapped away from him. Like, if you know, you can say that this is a Tyrone problem, right? Or you can actually say this has been around for like ten years. No, I, I didn't say it's a Tyrone problem. It's it's a problem. It's it's an epidemic in the game, and it's it's spreading like wildfire. But that incident for me. Morph. And we can we can talk about Michael Cheese, we can talk about whoever we want. That incident for me stood out more than any other incident that I've ever seen as far as Dave and goes in Gaelic football. And that's that's my stand on it and that's what I'm sticking to. Because um 
if you get ruffle and, and get your hair ruffled and to throw yourself on the ground, I mean, come on, give me a break. Yeah, I, I think it, in the context of the ten minutes that it happened in, right? I think that maybe in a, in a situation like that, that incident taken out of context looks bad. In the context of the game, where there had been five minutes before and five minutes after of just very cynical fouling, and you know, we we if you're talking about the black card, it's like. You know, <laughs> Tyrone were willing to take black cards Absolutely. all day long. Yeah. Like the, pun- the punishment didn't fit the crime, so you know, let's let, let's go for it. Yeah, what, well, what the black we cards, are, the black cards are nonsense. Uh, and I think the other thing about it is that Monaghan got dragged into it. You know, they got they let themselves be dragged into it, and as a result of that, Tyrone won the game. I, I don't care. I would have come in here this morning, and I wouldn't have been. I would have been talking about how good a performance, how professional and competent a performance it was from Tyrone, because they really controlled the game in every way, shape and form. They let Monaghan get, they let Monaghan have pot shots from the majority of them from 50 yards. Uh, like, Keon Cuse's point and Desi Moan's two scores, like, well, worldies, like, I mean, there are scores that you're not going to get day in, day out. In fact, Desi Moan had another opportunity that went at least 40 yards wide. But, I think the the big thing about Tyrone is that they have now a structure, they have a confidence, they have a siege mentality. They're a dangerous animal now. Yeah, they do have a siege mentality. And this is what I'm wondering, Anthony, is this actually all grist to the mill for Tyrone, for Mickey Hart? They don't, it's not even just nobody likes us, we don't care. It's nobody likes us and we do care. This is brilliant. We can now convince ourselves that the, the rest of the country is against us again. Yeah, well, I'd say, Kerry, of all the people that were potentially going to come out of the hat this is the team they didn't want to see you know just because of the history of it uh, just those points that you just made um, and they are a very competent team they have like I mean since since the route that they've taken obviously since the Donegal game they have honed kind of a, a, a very very finite game plan and um, they've moved some individuals around they've put Matty Donnelly in the middle of the field and um, they've kind of Taking the burden, I think, of responsibility off Cavanagh's shoulders to a certain degree. Uh, McCurry's playing very well. McCurry is the corner corner forward. McCurry's playing very, very well. Are they more cynical than any other team in the country, though? Yeah, because what I want to do is I want to build them up here so I can knock them down. (laughs) 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 Because this has been happening. Like, if you take the incident yesterday in isolation, you go, okay, he was a bit stupid and I saw Jarlett Byrne saying, you know, he's a young guy, he's made a mistake. That's okay, fine, absolutely. But this is not, and I definitely won't be holidaying in Tyrone, I don't think, oh, for the next number of years because I got awful abuse about this because purely, you take the, tipper, the under-21 final against Tip, right? That whole thing that went on there where the Tipperary manager wouldn't let them into the dressing room, they wouldn't, wouldn't shake hands, the different stuff that was going on. Different things, different aspects of the game. Mead a couple of years ago where they basically just completely dragged every Mead player down when Mead were trying to attack and get a goal and it was just stopping it all sort. Like, I mean, we've seen all of that. But they've now brought it to a different level where it's not even kind of pulling lads down, stopping lads. It's now that if you then kind of go near them, well, then there's fellas dropping everywhere. Like, Sean Cavanagh got a bit of a, a, bit of a tap, I would say, off, off uh, McManus the other day and he went down in a heap. Like, went down... 
I don't even think there was a free given, but he was definitely looking for some kind of black card, yellow card, or red card mind to be you, given to McManus. M- mind you, he got punched in the head by Paul Finley, and I, I was interested in Darrow Shea's commentary on that because Darrow Shea was saying, "Ah, well, you know, that's Sean Kavanagh going down a bit easy there." And I was looking at two or three replays, thinking, "I don't know what Darrow's no, saying here because I'm not. seeing a punch in the head." Absolutely, I agree. But what what the thing is is that, and and this is what I seen. No one no one is, is is asking for you know that that violence or whatever it is should happen on a, on a field. But what happens is, as the opposition, you get so frustrated with this, and this is where Oshin is saying about Monaghan being dragged into it, it is nearly impossible not to get dragged into it. Now, are Tyrone consciously saying, this is what we want in the last 10, 15 minutes of a game when we're ahead, that we, that we kind of... Uh, annoy teams so much that they get so frustrated with us that they actually end up retaliating. You know, they lose their discipline completely. Their heads get fried. Lads start taking pot shots from all. There's no kind of structure to their game because if you actually look at it, I think it was eight or nine minutes of extra time played. There was enough time for Monaghan to actually engineer one or two scores and get it a little bit closer. I know they got it down to three. But... Basically, that is, I, I don't know, as I say, I don't know if it's a conscious decision. I don't know if Mickey Hart is, is, is actually saying to these lads that this is what goes on. He would but probably claim that he doesn't. Of course, he, of course he would. But what I'm saying is, I definitely think there's something endemic in, in Tyrone. They've been doing it for a long, long time. You know, I chatted to Stephen Bray, numbers, to our forwards who were being marked when we played Tyrone in 07. The abuse and different stuff that went on, off the ball, everything else. And he gets it to a certain degree with any team. But... I just think that even take out, to be honest with you, the, the ruffle of the hair and the, that that was kind of like just okay, you know that is there. But the other stuff that was going on, Joe McMahon doing it, lads coming in with knees into fellas, lads just trying to annoy fellas to a point where they retaliate. And when they do retaliate, it's then all hands up talking to the referee. And to be fair, Marty Duffy was the wrong man for that game, the completely wrong man for the game. He is not a good referee, in my opinion. He's not a referee that you can talk to. I remember when I was captain in 07, we played Dublin. And I went, I, numerous times we had him before, and he won't let you talk to him. And I remember going up to him, and he, he, he just kept pushing me away. And I said, listen, I said, I'm the captain here. I said, I should be allowed to talk to you. And he's there, no, get away from me. And he, he's that type of a referee. And from the first free he gave Kavanaugh, if you remember, when Vinnie Corey kind of caught Kavanaugh a little bit high, but Kavanaugh went down. Um, and Kavanaugh straight away went to him and started complaining about being taken around the neck. And Kavanaugh kept badgering at him all the way through the game. I just thought he set the tone. Um, he got he got intimidated by it. Um, and Tyrone took full advantage. Oisín, how conscious a decision is it, do you think, by Mickey Hart and the Tyrone? I, cu- I, cu- I cu- knowing Mickey Hart, and I know he's got an edge to him, but I, I don't think he's coaching that, actually. We actually had a league game yesterday. I happened to say that one of, one of the boys said to me, "No, that's coached into them from from a very very early age." And I said, "No, it's not." And he said, "He, he said, right, okay, it's not. It's just bred into them." Then, <laughs> but I, I, that's probably unfair because, like, I I just think that you know it's not all of the Tyrone players. Like, it's not them. It's not you can't throw them all into it, you know, as a county thing and say that they're all doing it. But the one thing is, when they see that they get a little bit of success out of it, like, it reminded me, it was like a throwback. You know, we've tried everything else, uh, we're coming together again, we need a wee bit of edge to a game. One of the things we used to say as a team, you know, when we were going out to play, whatever it takes to get over the lane. And that was a continuous thing, whatever it took to get over the lane. And we played on the edge a lot, and I played with players who played on the edge a lot, uh, I just think th- there's two things for me again. Just to, 
to reiterate, just the spitting and, and the throwing yourself on the ground for no reason. OK, we do have to move on to the other game, but I want to ask you briefly about Tyrone's chances against Kerry, Anthony. I think they have a very good chance. You, yeah. like, I mean, that, the, the thing about it is, OK, maybe this is a part of the game that they have in their armoury, but if they do that to Kerry, like, I mean, if they get amongst Kerry like that again, if they annoy Kerry, um, because Kerry are yet, and especially this young Kerry team, are yet to come up against mm. this type of an animal, you know, whereby especially if Tyrone can get ahead, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And in the heat, white heat of battle, it's not even, you're not even talking about, I'm actually playing football against the guy here. You're now, you're now dealing at a different, you're, you're dealing at a kind of nearly a psychological level where if, 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 if you win a ball on him, he's at you. If he annoys, you know, it, 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 they just can get inside your head. And I don't think Kerry have yet experienced this and they won't fancy taking Tyrone on. The, the one thing is that you, you, you plan and you say, listen, whatever happens, we're not getting involved with them. And when I used to leave the house with my bag on my shoulder, my mother used to say the same thing to me all the time. There was only one answer, kick it over the bar, stick it in the net. And that was fine. And nine times out of ten I did that. But there were some days where you just, you just, it wouldn't happen for you. You're thinking to yourself, I just need to hold my head, I just need to play, play football. And then there's, there's a day where you just go, no. Yeah, I'm not putting up with this. You told your mum, listen, you've never... Uh, no, Martin, Jesus, I wouldn't tell me mum. You, 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 you've, no, you've never marked Ryan McMenamin here, you know? <laughs> Murph, I think we both feel somewhat similarly about the, uh, the Donegal-Mayo game, particularly Donegal's approach. Maybe it was in comparison to the nasty streak that we saw from mm. both teams uh, in, the, in the preceding game, but there was something about Donegal's acceptance of their fate that was yeah. strange there wasn't yeah. a huge amount of almost anger in their performance I, I couldn't believe the reaction from Donegal after the Keegan goal I mean I, I, I think you're talking about uh, you know professional pride in, in this amateur situation but th- this idea that you are a team with a reputation that that uh, that is on the line here and Keegan's goal went in and Donegal that was it yeah. the game was over there, there was 20 minutes after that Mayo were pretty cynical in closing it down and making sure that no one got uh, built up ahead of steam or anything but I just expected so much more from Donegal than what we saw in the immediate aftermath like say in that third quarter when they've been brilliant all year and there was so much time left you know it wasn't like the goal yeah. went in with 10 minutes to go you know the goal went in and you're exactly right. I remember, I think from the 50th minute to the 57th or 58th minute, there was no score in the yeah. game. Yeah. You know, and like that is a period there where you're saying, right, we get a hold, we get our hands on the ball, you know, we make sure that we actually engineer some scores and we go at them. You know, I watched Gallagher in the middle of the field. I watched just a few individuals and it was a situation like that. It was nearly like they just went, our, our run has ended. Yeah. It, was, it was very, very strange. It was like that in the lead-up to the game. And then when you see the comments you know, after the game, in fairness to Rory Gallagher, he was very, very honest after the game and accepting, but maybe a little bit too accepting of, of uh, what had gone on during the game. They had a lot, a lot of players that underperformed. We were looking to Michael Murphy to carry them again, and he just he carried them to a certain extent, but... Couldn't carry them over the line. Yeah, they get nothing from McFadden and nothing from McBrady at all. Yeah, like Murphy, Murphy can do it against you know Galway. He can do it against Armagh last year. But when you're up against you know like a real team, and he's a hand. This uh, this yeah. this idea that you know right okay I'm going to put the other 14 players on my back and carry them. It's just not going to happen. It can't happen. I feel sorry for Gallagher because to get to the point where Dunny all have got to, he had to really kind of go inside, rethink a few different moves, you know, especially with the Murphy thing. And he kind of showed all his hand, if you know what I mean. Whereas Holmes and Kennelly could sit back. People didn't see the Moran thing. 
you know, the Moran move was a great move. I definitely think he out, the two boys outthought Gallagher, but at the same time, Gallagher was kind of punching with one hand behind, because he had shown everything, as I mm. say. They could bring Moran in, they could start Vaughan, they said, okay, we're not going to be as naive as Galway, we're going to make sure that there's two big men in there, yeah. you know, and if any ball goes into Murphy, we're going to battle for it, one man in the air with Murphy, one Still man on the ground, and, and we'll take them from there, and we'll control midfield, we'll make them kick long, and he took a lot of their 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 uh, their, uh, their weapons away because even Ryan McHugh, who's been doing yeah. these massive bombs forward, if you watch it, Boyle just watched him every time, and every time he, he came into six, Boyle just went with him every time. He never let him get in behind uh, the defence, and that took a massive uh, weapon away from him as well. But the, it was a bit, in fairness, also to Gallagher, like you know, he's not completely void from blame because he sh- he should never leave. I've left Neil McGee on. On Aidan O'Shea, he's just too big and he's too strong for him. I mean, whatever chance Aidan McGee has of breaking the ball away, Neil Neil McGee has absolutely no chance. And then, like he swatted Mark Mark McHugh away like a fly for the goal. Yeah. Like know? to be honest, I mean, I th- I think that uh, you know you can you can and certainly that's true, you know. But I mean, all of the things that we've been taught about the big full forward, you know, like, like you know, there, ha- there has to be a, like a very specific set of circumstances whereby if you have your right half forward, the right half forward has to kick with his uh, right yeah. foot, yeah. diagonal yeah. ball. Like the ball into Aidan O'Shea was, you could have hit it with a shovel. Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> he didn't hit Shea, it with a shovel. Yeah, like <laughs> like yeah. Seamus O'Shea just got the ball. He looked up. He's, uh, Aidan O'Shea is directly in front of him, 40 yards out. And Seamus just like, just lorried this like nothing yeah. ball into him. I was doing those for twelve years, Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, they finally worked out. Yeah. But like it's you know, it's like it it you are dealing with something, you know, not quite what we've seen before. That idea that you can catch a nothing ball like that, like hold Eamon McGee or hold Neil McGee off with one hand, like just bulldoze through yeah. Mark Mark McHugh. And then finish the way that he finished. Yeah. I mean, you have to give huge credit to Aidan O'Shea. And every year we talk about how Mayo are falling short. What one, people use the term yeah. X factor quite a lot. What can they bring next year that they haven't had this year? And I guess this is what it is. This is, this is what they have this year that looks a little bit different. Yeah, and the fact that they were able to change it up and play the sweeper. I don't think we'll ever see Barry Moore play a sweeper again. Mm. Uh, I think yeah, he, he won't be there against Dublin. Anyway. No, he play, he, he play, I think he'll play though. I think he'll play in the middle of the field, I think. Parsons might be under a little bit of pressure. He's been very good for him all yeah. year. But I, I think actually he thought it was his best game of the year. Uh, I still think he's under a little bit of pressure, just purely from a fielding point of view. Uh, I think Barry Moran showed me enough that he could be back to where he was. But I don't think we'll see Barry Moran as a sweeper ever again. But it was a brilliant move for, for Mayo to do that and to be able to change it up. And and uh, and I just, I just thought that there's something different about Mayo. But... Still a few of the old frailties. All right, Anthony O'Shane, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, Ron. Cheers, lads. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clyde Woodward, statisticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us. Ken, the Premier League season, this is such a packed show that the Premier League season is back and we're only going to get, be able to give it a, a minute here for you to tell us what's coming up in the Irish Times Second Campus Football Podcast. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. 
Well, first of all, we're going to talk about the fact down that, that Swansea City would probably walk Serie A if they were in there. Uh, if they could, if they could somehow um, teleport themselves into that league, they would um, dominate Juventus. I'm pretty confident from the first week of the season and uh, canter to victory, mm. uh, which is uh, something that I don't think anyone could have said before in any point, any previous point in history. But what I'm particularly excited about, Owen, is our special guest. We've got a special guest. Mm. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you who it is. All oh, right, okay, yeah, okay. Well, that makes a, it's a good forward setting there, Ken. Owen Kelly is going to talk to us in a second about Kilkenny, but you have to put your theory forward first. Uh, yeah. See, I think uh, I think Kilkenny are there for the taking. I have seen their last two games, Owen. Uh, the Leinster final against Galway. Won, com- won quite comfortably. Comfortably. And uh, then yesterday's semi-final against Waterford. Won without the sniff of conceding a goal at any stage in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Those are just that we have the same two games. Yeah, they're, 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 yes, you're, you are broadly correct, yes, in the two games that I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just... It's a case of creating goal chances against Kenny. If you create a couple of goal chances against Kenny, Like, Galway got two goals against, uh, against him in the last final, but their touch was so poor on the day that, uh, that they, were, they were never actually going to mount any sort of a challenge to Kenny, really, if they, when you look at the amount of players that were playing badly. But they have... I mean, they, I mean we'll get into it with Owen in a minute, but... I was looking at their subs bench yesterday in the programme and that was usually, you didn't look at the Kilkenny subs bench because that would make you cry usually if you had, say, a horse in the race against them. Uh, now you're not looking at that bench and thinking, my God, there's, you know, row after row of, uh, like, superhero on this bench. Uh, they leave teams in games so much longer than they used to. Uh, they hit wides at, at the exact moment when you think Kilkenny are just going to you know, stand on your throat and end it. That's when they're hitting wides. If you stop Richie Hogan, you probably have an excellent chance of beating Kilkenny. Now, I know that the technology hasn't been developed yet that stops <laughs> Richie Hogan uh, hurling superstar. That hasn't been developed yet, on. but I have faith in science. Well, if we uh, just continue to sabotage his feet. I, I think the feet. I think we should, if, if there's some way for the, the, the opposition to exploit that weakness on the balls of Richie Hogan's feet then I think that we're, we're close Owen Kelly you've heard the theory there Kilkenny are there for the taking according to Murph what do you think? They're in the final final <laughs> no one has taken them no one has taken them down yet it's a strong statement for Murph but look there are probably a couple of things if you want to pick them out um, their first sub saw action yesterday after 66 minutes so that maybe tells you that Brian is not comfortable with, with what he has on the bench Um First half yesterday, they'd, I, I didn't think they played great in the first half yesterday. I think they'd done enough just to keep the scoreboard ticking over. Right, a piece of, a piece of I suppose, brilliance from TJ Reid just before, you know, not not too long before half time, just to put him ahead, we'll say, with that goal, which was very crucial, you know, because he, he drew in the two defenders and he knew what he was at. He smelt that they were going to collide and he was doing a U-turn before they even, before they even collided. He knew what was happening and... Um, well, so their first half performer wasn't great, but definitely they upped the ante in the second half, right after half time. And then you've probably seen your, your true reflection of, of your top class Kilkenny outfit. But they're probably not the force. No, for me, they're not the force that they, they were going back three, four, five, six years. But look, they're still in the All Ireland final. They probably have played a couple of teams that haven't fully believed. 
they could beat Kilkenny and I think Waterford for me fitted into that category yesterday again I think Waterford uh, came with the same mentality that they came with to the Munster final against Tip where they felt that just to keep themselves in the game was enough but never never looked like pushing on to, to win the game and that would be where the spines will be Waterford will be very disappointed today Yeah I, I think uh, where I'm coming from here, and I think I better explain myself, <laughs> is that it just that I, I was at the Leinster final and again at the game yesterday. And Kilkenny are leaving teams in games in a way that I, you know, it just would never in a million years have happened six or seven uh, years ago. That Galway and Watford, uh, at no stage, as you sh- as you said, really showed the belief required to to go and win the game. But at the same time, with 15 minutes to go in both games. They were two or three points behind, and, and within a puck of, puck of a ball at Kilkenny, and I think that that's that maybe they're there for the taking might be stretching it slightly. But I'll stick with it, Murphy. Yeah, but they're they what they are is they're leaving teams and games so much longer, and eventually that's going to catch up on you. Well, yeah, eventually you're going to get caught some out. And look, Watford probably this morning would love to play Kilkenny again next week or two weeks later. Now there's only one team left in the championship that might have that opportunity, and that's Galway. So. Mm. You know, in the championship, we'll say. So, look, and Galway, look, that's moving on to next week. Galway will be a massive uh, test for Tiberi next week. But I would agree with you. And I think it goes back to he probably doesn't have the same quality in his squad, Brian Cody, that he had. And I'm going back to it again to four or five or six or seven years ago when if a guy was injured, um, he had a, an equally good, as good a guy to replace him. Like, Brian Cody will have his fingers crossed next weekend if the Kilkenny Club games go ahead. If I was probably Brian Cody, I'd probably knock those games on the head. But I think he might let them go ahead. If he hears of one or two injuries, he'll be under serious pressure going into an All-Ireland final, whereas before they always had the strength and depth. Um, now, I don't think he'll change too much, so the games will probably go ahead, but I'm sure Monday morning or Sunday evening he'll just want to hear that he has no injuries, and he will really, this morning, will be trying to get... Uh, Michael Fenley has another 70 minutes under his belt. Still doesn't look like... You know, he still looks like he's carrying that back. Richie Power, who would be on after the game yesterday evening. Richie, we need you. We need you for one hour. What maybe even maybe even twenty five thirty minutes? Jackie Terrell will be really analysing how the progress he's going to make with his videos and that. So, you know, you can see he will be trying to get seventeen, eighteen, nineteen players ready for this All Ireland final and to give it one all merciful shot because look, this will put Cody ahead of even all those players that he has dealt with. He'll be the only guy that have been involved in the eleven All Irelands. Mm. Uh, I know he doesn't say that. People say he doesn't think like that, but I'm sure deep down. Either it's a small ego, maybe it's not a big one. Definitely, Brian Cody has, but he will want to achieve something that no other person will have achieved, even within Kilkenny. Yeah, and the point that that really struck me yesterday as well was, as you said, the first substitute came in after 67 minutes. Like this idea that the the reason why Kilkenny keep coming back year after year after year is this the fact that they're being driven from below. That if if you play. If you had an off day yesterday, and we'll say Walter Walsh has had loads of really good games in Crow Park, yesterday was not one of those games. After 25 minutes, he'd made a few mistakes, he, his touch looked a little heavy. I was kind of looking at Cody saying, right, well, when's he going to make the, make the change? And that change didn't actually happen for another ha- a full half hour. Like, up until, like, in, long after the game had actually been finally decided, that's when Cody turns around and, right, says, right, I'll show a bit of trust in my... In yeah. my in my bench, and, look, and, and like you, that idea that you're constantly under pressure for your place 
is you know that was suppose, supposedly one of the key reasons why Kilkenny have kept winning over the last 15 years or so. Yeah, that mightn't be as much there with a, with a couple of the players on the team. You know, like Owen Larkin, I don't think, performed yesterday. He fits into that Walter Walsh category. Uh, Colin Fenley didn't have one yeah. of these strong games yesterday. So it's three or four hours. Now, look, I'm sure he will be saying to those three guys, lads, you have four weeks, I want to see it in training. So that he knows if it's in training, he'll get the performance out of them on the day because I think those three guys you mentioned I can definitely the three two of those three will start the next day mm. I'd nearly go as far as saying the three of those will start yeah one where, point from the three of them one yeah, point from before, yesterday yeah. maybe definitely one or two of those uh, three all three of them mightn't start the next day but I think the three of those will probably definitely um, start the next day but he will definitely try and get a tune out of them and I suppose that's another side of it that Brian Cody his management if a guy doesn't play well uh, today he seems to get a tune on the next day and I'm sure he'll really work on that but the one thing with Brian Cody's management is he's able to get his top class players his good players on the ball uh, as much during a 70 uh, minute game as he can and you're seeing that yesterday with TJ Reid and Richie Hogan they're his two marquee players and you know they're never tucked away into a corner or you know they're never out of a game he always gets them into a game because he knows that they're so good of players that they bring everyone else into the game that they need to be on the ball and I think you, you know, that's the side of his management that we you know that people don't really um, give enough compliments to you know the intensity and the work rate was there as well and that's just there day in day out so you know, I don't think that'll ever leave the Kilkenny system of play but he definitely needs more I think going forward from some of his uh, some of his other, other forwards like, because if Richie or TJ is held um, they will struggle for scores but I, 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 I think he will get he'll get more out of those few players you mentioned for the next day. Yeah, it's funny on Derek McGrath seemed to feel a little bit like Murphy for a while. He said it himself and the management team at, at a couple of points yesterday were fist pumping themselves on the sideline because they thought well he checked himself he said we thought we had them and then he said well we didn't think we had them but we thought we had a chance. So clearly at those heated moments during the game they thought that they saw something in Kilkenny but they weren't able to ultimately they weren't even, even able to get that close really. Is there anything that Waterford can take out of that game for next year the cliche is that you learn something from these defeats is there one single thing that they might learn from that? I hope there is because they'll have to because you know to make progress and to contest all the finals you know I think they'll they'll have to get more belief into them there's a massive difference between hope and, and belief hoping you're going to win all the semi and believing you're going to win all the semi-final promotions apart I'd probably think Waterford were the same yesterday as the most final hoping that they'd get the scores, hoping that they'd get the look. But you have to make things happen. Now, there were certain plays yesterday where Water definitely made things happen. And, you know, they have some marquee players that you're going to hear about for the next, uh, well, for the next 10 years. Like Austin Gleeson is a joy to watch, we'll see, when he gets on the ball. And, you know, they, you, know you, you see a couple of passenger players on the TV last night where Water were at their best. But they probably need to find one or two more forwards that will just deliver day in, day out. Your Paul Comani is one of those. He was obviously injured, well-documented all year, but they'll just have to push up a small bit more because, you know, they hit 16 points in the Munster final, 18 points yesterday. You know, the inter-county target was always to get your, your 20 points on board and maybe put a goal or two on that, so you're hitting the 24, 25-point um, target. And against the two top teams, Watford have in my opinion, delivered the same performances, 16 points and 18 points, and that's not going to win you these big games against the big teams. So, you know, Maurice Shannon definitely had a, he had a massive season. We'd probably finish with, with an all-star, but uh, I think he just needs an extra marquee forward up there that's, you know, that's hitting your, your three or four points, or even your, 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 your goal and points.
points every day and Milan done that job now I know Colin Dunford in the second half delivered four points but you need someone to deliver those scores day in day out and if you can find that player and just push up a small bit more and become more uh, offensive then Water will definitely have learned something but you know he said it last night they had a tough October November December to sustain that year in year out that's his biggest challenge now you know So, and I think for Waterford to push on again they need to hit the ground running again come January so they'll need to put in a tough pre-season and a lot of Waterford players might like me hear me saying that Yeah exactly listen I'm sure we'll catch up with you around the second semi-final on. thanks a million Cheers guys take care Yeah I'm sure the Waterford players delighted with Owen Kelly there just teeing them up for a nice hectic pre-season start nice and early work really hard and interestingly there was just a tiny snippet of I think it was Gavin Comiskey's post-match reaction in the Irish Times today uh, it's just a, a throwaway line, really, about Waterford and the sacrifice they've made this year. Not taking expenses, it said at one stage. I don't know if that means that they haven't taken any expenses or that there are certain expenses that they're foregoing because maybe the county board can't afford the sort of preparation they need to be up mm. where they are. But I thought that was interesting. Uh, it goes against what what most top inter county teams and players have been striving for for a number of years. And maybe they're just being realistic about their situation there. Uh, and also in the post-match reaction, there was uh, there were a few mentions I saw today, Murph, of Brian Cody receiving an unexpected visitor in the media room. He was asked to uh, get in for a selfie <laughs> in the Crow Park uh, press room yesterday, um, and he acceded to the request. So there is out there somewhere uh, a selfie of Brian Cody uh, taken by a German journalist who was over with uh, Boris Falsche, I believe. Oh, I read that it was a, a tourist. I thought it was... Uh, just, no, no, he was, he was in the press a working room. journalist, okay. A working journalist, well, working, I mean... You know, he was junketing on, journalist. Yeah, a junketing <laughs> journalist, uh, who asked Brian Cody for a selfie. Uh, he also got involved in the press conference, though. You know, this guy's a real journalist. He was asking the hard questions. Uh, he asked uh, Brian Cody uh, for a description of hurling for someone who doesn't know anything about it. Uh, to which Brian Cody replied, I'd say you'd have plenty of company here, said Cody, nodding to the row of sports writers. <laughs> <laughs> which you'd have to say is a pretty good line. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I was going to say by Brian Cody's standards, by Addywood standards, that's a pretty good You gag. enjoyed that, Ken? Yeah, I think that's good. And he, he, Brian Cody, obviously, he even, he answered the question and then actually told the sports, the hurling writers that... Uh, no offence. Uh, I think you all know about hurling lads. Don't take it personally. <laughs> so there you go. Well, that, that was probably the killer line, actually. Because the, the that br- they all took the joke with this slightly patronising comment afterwards. Yeah. To Most of you do know about her. Yeah. It's fine. I have fine. a Don't tiny bit of respect for the opinions of a couple yeah. of you guys. So yeah. it turns out the Cody secret is actually just hila- just sheer hilarity. Kilkenny training for the last 15 years has been just a non-stop laugh riot. So uh, who wouldn't keep wanting to turn up for all hours? It's just more material. It's always nice to get a win against Wales, particularly with the World Cup a few weeks away, even if these were shadow squads playing against each other on Saturday, Sunday. I've lost so much happened at the weekend. Saturday, I've lost the days. It was Saturday, yeah. Uh, a lot of people suddenly found out how to find BBC Wales mm. on the Skybox uh, over the weekend. Who's up for Scrum 5 next Friday? Jerry Thornley is in studio now. Jerry, uh, thanks very much for popping in. No, it's a pleasure always. Shane Horgan and Ron O'Gara were incredibly positive on the RTE highlights. They were they were kind of laughing because they'd struggled to find any poor passages of play for Ireland, which I thought was quite remarkable considering how rusty you're supposed to be this time of year. Yeah, first game of the season, first game of the season. I suppose it's a tribute to Joe Schmidt's coaching skills and the way that he prepares teams for matches, that everybody knows their roles. And you have to give Simon East to be credit as well. Was it 15 set pieces, all one, no blemishes. Eight into the Welsh set pieces, that gave him a good base. Maul worked well. 
there was good shape to the attacking game, excellent kick chase as you expect, good breakdown work, slowing up Welsh ball. Um, a few defensive blitz, glitches though, which he wouldn't have been too happy about conceding three tries and there might have been more. So there were, there were a few too many line breaks conceded that wouldn't have pleased them. And perhaps they lost a little bit of shape when the usual raft of substitutions. But even then, I thought, if you looked at certainly the primary point of the exercise, I'm not sure that the result is going to have a huge bearing in the long term in the unlikely event that, say, Wales and Ireland were to run into each other in the semi-finals. I don't think it'll have much bearing in even the return meeting three weeks hence when both teams are likely to be fully locked and loaded. But it certainly was, it showed that as you'd expect, really, Ireland have way more strength and depth than Wales. And the province's performances in Europe and the leagues over the last few years, last decade, would underline that fact. And Ireland have way more strength and depth. And that's what that showed. But, and a lot of individuals are pressing harder. It's muddied the waters for Joe Schmidt in terms of picking his finalising his squad of 31. It's clarified the picture for Warren Gatland in terms of clarifying his 31. <laughs> yeah, which isn't necessarily good news <laughs> at Warren all. Warren Gatland's like uh, fishing around for 31 players. <laughs> <laughs> by, uh, well, Saturday. I think one or two might have played themselves off. Yeah. Like James Hook particularly, um, I don't think that Mike Phillips did himself any favours. Scott Williams won't have played himself off the tour, but he, he uh, captaincy clearly didn't agree with him. He missed tackles, he dropped balls. Their 10-12 axis in defence was just probed continuously by... I mean, they made Darren Cave look wonderful. And they made Keith Earls look very good as well. I mean, that moment when Keith Earls beat Scott Williams and Dominic Day in, in the space of a phone booth and then bounced the full back only to be denied by Richard Hibbert. I don't know that there's many players in Irish rugby that have that in their artillery. And I think he's probably secured his place in the team. Andrew Trimble has put his case forward. And, of course, the one <clears throat> awful blight in the whole, the whole day, Tommy O'Donnell had actually played himself mm. in contention. Such was his performance for 70-odd minutes. And for him to suffer that bad hip injury was a terrible blight. Fourth, fourth player that Ireland have lost in the eve of World Cups in the last four tournaments. Well, some of those players that you mentioned there, I mean, Andrew Trimble, as you said, yeah. played unbelievably well, put, put in that monster hit, which is yeah. the kind of thing that... even, Joe even Yeah, Joe Schmidt likes the small details, but I'm sure he likes a crunching hit like that <laughs> as well, especially when it forces a turnover and a try. Simon Zebo played that amazing pass. Yeah. Fergus McFadden was his usual industrious self like, these are kind of players that each of them you'd be comfortable with in a starting lineup against France yeah. say in the World Cup but one or two of them mightn't even oh, make no, it on the plane there's no might about it one or two of them won't yeah. if you do the maths it's like 15 players goes into 8 positions something like that depending on how you look at it I mean I think he'll bring 3 scrum halves obviously um, <clears throat> there were a few flaws in Paddy Jackson's performance but I think you need 3 out halves if you include Ian Madigan and the fact that Ian Madigan can also cover 12 probably limits the scope for Darren Cave going as a specialist 12, which he's become now, or Gordon Darcy or Noel Reid. I don't know that you can bring three out-halves and three 12s, given Madigan covers 12. But even then, there's going to be some very good backs and there's some some players under pressure. I mean, Tommy Bowe's under pressure for his place, for example. Uh, apparently, Jonathan Davies in BBC Wales' commentaries uh, was trying to... Uh, maybe not feel too much pain from the defeat mm. and saying that, oh, well, this is a second team. And his commentator said, well, yeah, but it's an, it's an Irish second team as well. And he said something like that. I didn't see this as I saw the highlights in RTE, but apparently he said something along the lines of, ah, yeah, but aside from O'Connell and Sexton, most of the Irish guys are similar enough level, which I thought was incorrect, really, because yeah. if you think of the likes of Keane Healy and Sean O'Brien and Jamie Heaslip, uh, Connor, Connor Murray. Murray, it's clearly not true. But in a weird way, it seemed like a backhanded compliment to what Joe Schmidt has done to the team that he can convince people from other countries that it doesn't actually matter who's in or out of the team. This Ar- this Ireland team is a well-oiled machine. It's a well-oiled machine and everybody knows their roles and will be tied them if they don't, they're out. <laughs> it's yeah. that simple. I mean, it's a, it's a rule by fear, I'd imagine, to some degree. 
and if players don't know their roles and their precise details of their roles, then they're in big trouble. And Jamie Heasel was saying at the captain's run on Friday, if you do know your roles and you become fatigued, you can just fall back on what you prepared all week. Wales, by comparison, looked like they hadn't been introduced to a rugby ball, much less each other before kick-off. And it showed in their performance, defensively, they weren't organised, they weren't communicating, they didn't seem to know where the others were. I mean, Mike Phillips shows Darren Cave the inside for, shoulder for um, a, a gap that supposedly Tipperich was going to be filling, or, or Amos, the fullback, and the scrum had twisted in, which could work by the Irish scrum, which went well as well. So there was just a gap. I mean, Darren Cave himself looked surprised to score when he scored. It was just, he expected just to be trucking it up, as he'd been doing all day, and he got a try out of it. I don't know that you left necessarily see a try like that in the World Cup even against Canada much less um, France or Italy so but yeah it is a backhanded comment I do think that Ireland were nearer a second string team than Wales were I mean Wales had four debutants I think they were more a mix of a second and third string really than a, than a second string team and <clears throat> if you look at the caps I think Ireland had about 100 more caps I, I stupidly called it as a Welsh win without giving it enough thought maybe and then about half an hour before kickoff, really looking at the team it suddenly dawned on me that actually Ireland should definitely win this game so at least I rang Paddy Paris so I think it's more more important I get it right from my Paddy Powers account than for the Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the players I mentioned there, Earls, uh, Trimble, McFadden and mm-hmm. Zebo. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're talking about a couple of big names. So who, who, who do you think will miss out there? <sighs> I think Earls goes now. He goes to the goes World to the World Cup. Because yeah. it's interesting that he's covering Wayne and um, outside centre. If you go on the base, there's going to be a 17-14 split. There's only 14 backs. And you go on the base, there's going to be six half backs, including Madigan. I mean, that leaves you only eight places, like I said, amongst 15 players. So I think the need for another inside specialist inside centre is remote um, because you've got Henshaw can cover 12 with, with uh, Madigan and then you've got Payne at 13. I think you need more cover 13 and I think versatility is going to count for a huge amount of the remaining places. Specialism is not going to count for you an awful lot. I think the fact that Earl has been running at wing and at outside centre and did well at outside centre, tackle big... Um, <clears throat> The boy knows where the try line is. He was Ireland's leading try scorer at the last World Cup. Um, it, the only reason he's been out for two and a half years is because of injury. He's been selected in every squad that Joe Schmidt could have picked him in. And I think he goes, in the same way I think Duncan Ryan has probably played himself back in. Okay. Um, Trimble has definitely given himself a great chance. You know, he's looked back to his best. As you said, he ticks all the, the boxes that Joe Schmidt would want in his winger. Chasing, big tackles, good in the air. Um, and I thought Ireland lost a little bit of their line speed and defence when he went off became a bit softer on the outsides. Whether that's going to count against Zebo McFadden, I don't know. I would have thought, though, that Zebo has enhanced his claims no end. There's a big widespread feeling amongst my colleagues in the press box that Zebo's going to be one of those called this week. I'm not so sure about that. He does cover full back as well as wing, and he's going to need another player in the squad. And maybe Jones is slightly favoured above Zebo in the fact that he's been in all of the 23-man squads that Joe Schmidt picked last season, but he wasn't hauled off the bench in the last three. Now, one of the factors in a World Cup squad is impact off bench. As well as being able to start games against the likes of Canada, that you, you can come on against Italy or France or maybe Argentina or All Blacks in the quarterfinals, whatever it is, and you can change a game. Zebo showed with that pass for the Felix Jones try that he brings that little bit of an X factor, as does Madigan off the bench. And if you had Redden, Madigan and Zebo on the bench, you cover every position bar 13, which Henshaw can slip across too. So you're covering all bases and you've got real impact. So I would have thought it's going to be very interesting to see how the Zebo one pans out and the Tommy Bow one pans out and the Dave Carney one. Because Dave Carney apparently had a, you know, Dave Carney had a poor enough season last year coming back from a bad injury. 
but by all accounts turned up as fit as a flea in the shape of his life in pre-season and has been doing superbly in in training camps thus far. You'd imagine he's going to get a run this week against Scotland. So I would say they haven't quite finalised those outside positions and still a bit to play for. Jerry, brilliant stuff, thank you. Cheers. Hairdryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. I'm sorry, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Oh, just another piece of slightly worrying news for Wales. I know we all we all fear for Wales prospects in this World Cup. Mm. Australia beat New Zealand deservedly. I watched that game. Really impressive. Australia were also very good against South Africa. So that group is looking really ominous. Either it, I'm thinking either England or Wales are going out. I'm going to back Australia to get through that group at this stage, having seen them a few times. Even their scrum was pretty good uh, against New Zealand uh, in, at times anyway. So problems there. What's the solution for Warren Gatlin, Ken? get up to even higher altitude than they've been, maybe Mount Everest? More brutality, more power. <laughs> I, I, think Wales, I think Wales and England will uh, knock Australia out, actually. You didn't see Australia against New Zealand up the weekend, though they were good. <sighs> yeah, you know, all fair enough running around down there in counterclockwise land. But take it up to this half of the planet, and I think you're going to find... Were the toilets flush the right way around, They flush the other Am way I around. Right? And, uh, and I, I, you know, I'd be surprised if the Australians turned out to be quite as slick and fluent as they've been in their uh, defeats of right, their fellow Southern Hemispherians. Yeah, of course, the All Blacks in South Africa, noted softies down there. Look, it's not as though any of those teams are taking those games seriously. When they come up against the English Hearts of Oak and the Welsh leaks <laughs> in the World Cup battle mm-hmm. in Albion itself, Albion slash Glad, uh, I think it's, it's going to be a different, a different ball game. I'm not sure. I'm not sure they're going to have the desire, the hunger, uh, the power to beat a side like Warren Gatlin as Wales. Who are your World Cup winners then? Uh, probably South Africa. They just lost Argentina at the weekend, though, as you know. Uh, oh, sorry. Does that mean they're bottom of their group in the World Cup? Oh no, it, it doesn't. No it's not a World Cup, World Cup match. Cup, no. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think it really matters. I backed them to do well <laughs> in their World they Cup are, matches. Yeah, they're a good World sorry, Cup team. Sorry, right. if could I just, I just want to recap over the last couple of days. Uh, Mayo for Sab, yeah, still in it. Peter Check, there in the season. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I'm holding that fire, Murph. Okay, I'm holding that okay. fire for the football. And South office. Africa to win the Rugby World Cup. Okay, okay so, I just right. think we should we should just remind ourselves of those three predictions every week between now and November. All right, hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, a lot to get through. If you've listened right through, then thanks very much for that. And uh, do have a listen out for the podcast, the Irish Times Second Captains Football Podcast. Full recap of the weekend's Premier League games and a mystery guest who I'm, I'm hoping Ken will tell me who this mystery guest is at some stage before going there. Maybe it's going to be a mystery to me until this person arrives on the scene. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, girl. Thanks again for podcasting. Take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 